Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. It's another big week here at Cannabis Business Times and Cannabis Conference, the two brands in that Cannabis Group at GIE Media. Up on the website, you'll find our election preview features, where we're taking close looks at the five states teeing up adult use legalization on the ballot next month. We've also got a feature from Associate Editor Tony Lang on the death of Lorna McMurray at Trueleaf's Holyoke Mass facility and the state regulator's investigation that began before that death. And plenty of coverage of President Biden's recent announcement on cannabis reform. And that's kind of why we're here this week with our guest to talk about rescheduling or descheduling cannabis or doing nothing, which is equally possible given the history of this White House and what those options look like. We've got additional coverage of those possible futures on CannabisBusinessTimes.com, so make sure to check that out today after this interview. On this episode, we're pleased to present Leah Heiss, Senior Advisor at Kearney. Leah is an experienced executive, regulatory attorney, and thought leader in the industry. She's held several C-level positions in the industry and has successfully exited three companies, one through acquisition, creating a more than 10x return for investors, and two through IPOs. Leah recently served as the Chief Administration Officer of Ascend Wellness Holdings, where she wore multiple hats overseeing human resources, compliance, legal, and administration. In addition to her work scaling companies, she is a strategic advisor and part owner in the Cannabis Science Conference and Safe Arbor, and she volunteers for Athletes for Care, Riley's Smile, and attaches White House Task Force on Cannabis and Hemp. Please enjoy my conversation with Leah Heiss. All right, Leah. Well, welcome to the show this week. Very glad to get a chance to talk with you about the pretty seismic announcement from the Biden administration in early October relating to uh, pardoning folks with simple cannabis possession convictions at the federal level, but also uh, a number of other things, including the potential for reviewing cannabis as status uh, as a controlled substance, which definitely want to get into in this conversation um, but to begin, I was just hoping to maybe get your reaction to Biden's news. We're talking on October 12th, and that news came out, uh, looking at the calendar here, on the 6th of October, so it hasn't even been a week yet. What do you make of his, uh, I guess, breaking the silence on cannabis? Sure. Um, so certainly I was pleased to see that he was finally coming around and making a statement and and working towards some of the campaign promises that he had made to the cannabis industry, in particular in terms of expungement, um, it's something that needs to be done. So I was happy to see some statement in regards to to that. Um, I am not leaning as positively towards this statement as perhaps others. I don't feel that it necessarily went far enough to free the industry from the issues that it has. And I'm concerned that it's going to prevent or delay passage of other acts uh, like the Safe Banking Act that has potential to dramatically help the industry. And I'm concerned that if we go the rescheduling route and we can get a little bit into what that looks like, um, that it doesn't provide any any benefit to the industry whatsoever. In fact, what it does is still makes us a uh, federally highly federally regulated industry or highly fed, 
federally scrutinized industry with great risk, we would still have to be under the provisions of 280E, which is a very harsh uh, tax policy that the federal government has where uh, essentially cannabis businesses pay around 72 cents on every dollar to the federal government just to be in existence. And, and that's on top of paying on average $2,000 a month to be able to have a banking account, which would not go away with this announcement. Um, it, I don't feel like it went far enough, unfortunately, um, a little bit of too little too late. Yeah, it is interesting, especially when you think about just the timing. And I'm, you know, there's certainly there's an election coming up. And that's one thing that we could talk about. But but you raise the point of, of banking and not to sound naive, but it does seem like the Safe Banking Act is, a, is on the doorstep of passage. And it, it does kind of seem also like, well, here's the president now kind of inserting himself and in his administration when Congress was kind of making progress on a very important tentpole issue like banking. You're saying that you think that that this latest uh, push uh, on the executive side of, of the government could maybe muddy the waters on safe banking's chances? Yeah, I think it will muddy the waters. And I think it will also deprioritize both that and the amendment of the farm bill. Um, mm -hmm. The farm bill it created some fairly substantial loopholes in terms of CBD and the ability to sell THC-based CBD in the United States. And, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. I'm sure they have these stores in Ohio um, and other places uh, where you can work, walk into any convenience store in the United States pretty much and see Delta-8 or Delta-9 THC that is derived 100% from hemp. Now, Delta-9 THC is the type of THC that's produced out of cannabis, um, but we in the cannabis industry test our products. They are heavily regulated. The packaging is, is very restricted, but those restrictions are not passed on to those that are doing CBD uh, under the Farm Bill, and it is perfectly legal for them the way that the Farm Bill limits are set up for them to produce high levels of THC inside of their CBD uh, components and they are directly competing with the, the cannabis industry that's already struggling under the weight of overregulation. Yeah, it, it is. It, it has seemed to me like in the last couple of years that there have been a number of almost parallel regulatory tracks that have emerged for some of these different compounds. And that, that certainly even includes um, uh, the pharmaceutical track when Epidiolex was, uh, you know, approved and then set on the schedule five, I believe. And so maybe this opens up uh, that, that conversation of, of rescheduling versus descheduling. And, and it's not like President Biden used those terms specifically. I think he just mentioned reviewing the status of cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, but could you maybe define rescheduling and descheduling in terms of what Biden was kind of getting at? Sure. So um, in terms of the FDA schedule and the Controlled Substance Act, there are a series of classes, so to speak, they call them schedules, um, of certain drugs, and it's all based upon whether or not they're addictive. So class one is fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, 
and cannabis, even though it has been shown in anecdotal studies and in studies overseas where they're actually allowed to do research that it does not have the addictive qualities of a fentanyl for sure, and really is a lower addictive level than even sugar or caffeine, uh, which are not regulated by any of these controlled substance uh, substance act. Um, and in fact, neither is alcohol on the Controlled Substances Act because it was specifically excluded because the lobby for beverages, alcoholic beverages is so strong. So um, essentially what we have in the industry is a conundrum of whether or not the industry should be rescheduled and be at a lower level tier of the Controlled Substances Act, which if it is rescheduled, it would still go under the provisions of FDA oversight. FDA oversight would then further delay the ability of cannabis companies to bring their products to market because then we would go under a regulatory approval path. Now, I never have thought it was a bad idea for any company to prepare to go along that path by having good uh, manufacturing compliance practices, um, doing GMP, having quality assurances just in case the industry ends up going to that rescheduling route versus descheduling, which then would allow us to sell the product just like any other product that's sold um, in the world. Yeah, meaning um, almost, well, I mean, the status quo. I mean, obviously, we're in a, a sort of a fragmented state by state market right now, but descheduling would almost maintain the status quo of of state regulatory structures would, I mean, would that right? Be it would go to the, it would go to the state. And I suppose the federal government could decide to oversee it on some level, uh, create maybe an agency or something to do it, but they certainly wouldn't be mandated to do it. And the states that are currently operating have created incredibly robust regulatory schemas under which we all act. Um, we are used to acting under those schemes uh, the only benefit we don't have right now, I mean, apart from 280E and banking and, and other things, is uh, we, we lack the ability to export uh, internationally and we lack the ability to, to cross state lines with our products, which makes creating a brand in this industry incredibly difficult um, because you have no ability to ensure quality control from state to state. Yeah. Um... And so I know uh, descheduling is is baked into at least some of the existing cannabis reform uh, draft or not draft, but the legislation that's been introduced to to legalize or or deschedule. I know there's a lot of terms that sort of mean the same things, but in effect, there's right. a lot of attempts to legalize at the federal level. Rescheduling, though, seems like a a whole different uh, can of worms almost. Um, is there any real discussion over, I know, I mean, you mentioned uh, some of the schedules there. Does it seem likely that cannabis would be slotted down into a, a schedule too, or um, I don't I know. I would love to see it lower. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's based on addict, you know, the ability to be addicted to the substance and they, they actually analyze the studies that have been existing outside of the U S because we can't study in the U S um, to prove that it is not addicting, um, then I think it has to go even lower. I think it would have to go down to a three, a four, you know, maybe into a Tylenol range um, instead of being up at that highly addictive substance level. Um, 
there are companies that never want to see this product be descheduled or rescheduled. They're perfectly happy living inside of this uh, patchwork quilt world and taking advantage of their ability to move from state to state um, inside of state regulatory frameworks. Yeah, even with the taxes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's interesting just because there's you know companies of so many different sizes and uh, number of years that they've been operating, and and from state to state, the whole the whole market looks very different. And I guess when I think of rescheduling, uh, like I said earlier, I think of the the process of getting Epidiolex to market and just knowing okay. that the amount of uh, capital and uh, investments that went into not only that uh, that drug, but also just the the company behind it, uh, which is now Jazz Pharmaceuticals. And it seems to me that it would take a quite a lot of money to comply with what rescheduling might mean down the line. Meaning, we're already concerned about the mom and pop shops and cannabis. This seems yeah. like it would raise a lot more red flags. I, it raises a lot of red flags. I mean, the cannabis industry is an incredibly capital intensive industry. Uh, one, because it takes an incredible amount of money to start up a process or a grow or even a dispensary, but then the carry and how long it takes you to become cash flow po- positive with the amount of fees that are put onto you from local municipalities, cities, states, the federal government, um, it becomes a very heavy burden of cost um, on these operators and the the multi-state operators do a little bit better because they have the capacity to have access to larger capital sources. Um, They can create larger carries. They can support higher levels of financial advice. um, And it really disadvantages the smaller single state operators or someone who, who wants to run a single dispensary in a particular state, for example, you just don't have the capital to be able to do that. Um, And for a processor or a cultivator to have to go through an FDA process to get approval for their product, they just, there isn't that, um, there isn't enough money for that. They'd have to do government grants. There'd have to be some process that would free up some cash flow so these companies would be able to get to market and survive. Um, in fact, if you look at the P&Ls of these companies, the multi-state operators and the publicly traded companies, um, across the board, a lot of them are on three to six months of cash flow right now. That's it. Mm-hmm. They have a three to six month runway of cash flow. And if we don't do something, if these companies aren't reorganized, if the federal government doesn't take some action to limit the weight that's on top of this industry, um, I think we are going to be looking at a much different world of cannabis in a year, a year from now. A year from today, it will we will have lost multiple, multiple companies. In the event of rescheduling or just uh, just as Even is. with no action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it certainly it certainly seems that way even within states. I mean, we've looked very closely at how the California market is, um, you know, most operators are, are suffering under all the uh, conditions you just mentioned just in California. And that hasn't even you know, we haven't even gotten to to a nationwide market at this point. And it just seems like um, like the whole industry just seems like a kite that we're trying to get off the ground. And as we keep running, it, it's not really getting off the ground just yet uh, for a lot of uh, legitimate reasons. It's, it's been, it's been really tough. And um, 
you know, I feel like we're adding bricks to the tail of the kite on at every turn. Yeah. And everybody's trying to take their piece of scissors to the kite too, right? Get yeah. their little chunk of whatever they can get. Um, you know, host services and host community agreements in, in Massachusetts are insane. They're, what people have to do to be able to get licensed, it is an absolute struggle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And Massachusetts is a really good example. I know we've been looking at that and uh, even even just drilling down to like, I mean, not to get too far afield here, but even in the city of Boston, the mayor is trying to get the zoning board out of the process and make it just ever so slightly easier for operators to get up and running. Um, and it really is just that it takes those little incremental steps to, to make any headway. Um, it really does. I would have liked, I, I was very pleased that Biden at least raised the issue, especially ahead of midterms, given that we have four states on the ballot that potentially will flip over to adult use. Um, and the more states that we have become adult use, the more likely it is that we will see this prohibition finally come to an end um, in some form or another. I would have liked a more measured, thought out, statement from him with a little bit more of a, a plan other than an amorphous, the FDA is going to reevaluate. The FDA has been reevaluating the farm bill and CBD for what, 12 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And I, you know, I suppose that um, I guess there's the cynic in me that, that does look to the midterms and the timing of this and also looks to the 2024 election and, no one has a crystal ball, so who knows how long this review is going to take. But it would be very interesting if it took approximately, you know, a year and a half and uh, mm -hmm. and some action happened in the summer of 2024. <laughs> we'll see. Which I would love. That would be great. Um, I, yeah. I think in terms of when I think of international, I find the international markets fascinating right now because they're just blossoming. Um but the U.S., who has had all of these years of creating products and, and really putting strong re regulations and things in place, we don't have the opportunity to compete internationally. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it is that that's going to be a very interesting aspect. Just I mean, if you look at any other industry, the, the effects of globalization are pretty real and obvious. And the word commoditization comes to mind. Uh, but we're as a country not involved in that right now and um you know missing out on a lot of uh, rapidly evolving research and of course rapidly evolving international markets too and just the the idea of trade um and it would i mean it would be super interesting to hear a president really engage those topics like on a serious level um oh i'd love it yeah that would be pretty cool um i I mean, or even work hand in hand with Germany who's trying to figure out how to do it right now. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the EU who will follow right after Germany or France that's recently made some big jumps. Africa, same thing. Like if we in the U.S. could provide the benefit of our knowledge and mistakes so that other countries don't do some of the things that we did um, and created a better foundation globally, we could continue to be world leaders in this space. And I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to lose. Yeah. Well, uh, and unfortunately, uh, throughout this whole year, I feel like a lot of our articles and, and certainly at Cannabis Conference, we we haven't been able to deliver the most optimistic news to operators. But I, I guess I wanted to maybe end with, a, I guess, an advice type question. I mean, 
you know, we don't really know what's going to happen here. Uh, the Biden administration and and his cabinet, or at least the Health and Human Services Secretary, will be looking at this. Um, before anyone panics or celebrates, uh, what should maybe some smaller operators who may not have access to tremendous amounts of capital, what might they benefit from doing over the next six to 12 months, meaning uh, in, in preparation of potential rescheduling? Is there any, um, maybe a, a checklist of items that, that might help them? Yeah, I mean, you should. they should definitely be looking at GMP compliance, good manufacturing practices, uh, ensuring that they have a path to getting approved by an FDA um, process. So maybe hiring an FDA attorney that's expensive. Um, and to stay alive in these times, they've got, all of the companies need to look at what do you do well? If you are a vertically integrated company and you stink at transporting your product, hire a transporter. Why would you, why would you have four verticals inside of one company? It makes no sense. Um, you can't be the best at everything. If you're really good at making edibles, make edibles, sell off all the other stuff. I bet you're not making much money off of it. Um, and really pull some levers to, to save yourself. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, but on a hopeful note, the fact that Biden even at a midterm and even in a potentially political puffing manner made mm -hmm. this statement, at least he's looking at it. At mm -hmm. least it is an announcement that's raising awareness nationwide to the middle of the country and, and the rest of the country that cannabis is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. We're already at 34 states. We're going to be at more states. Um, I think it's, it still is a good, valid, strong industry. And I think it's too late to turn back. I do not think that even the federal government would be able to pull it back. Uh, there's a good law review article from a Harvard Law School professor that talks about how the federal government has already lost its ability to regulate under the Dormant Commerce Clause because so many states have passed. Um, and I think that's actually a possibility that it's just mm -hmm. too late for the feds to do anything. Yeah, and it, it does seem, you know, not to point to yet another pathway toward legalization, but I believe it's the the States Act or the States Reform Act, uh, the one that was introduced by Representative Nancy Mace, um, which, if I recall correctly, really was just going to leave things as is while applying a flat federal tax to, to everything in the U.S., which seems about the extent to which the federal government could really, you know, step in. Um, and maybe that's a, that's a middle ground. I mean, no one wants to be hit with any more taxes, but um, that might be a way of uh, of getting the federal government involved at this late stage while preserving what this market has become so far. I'm not even sure. Uh, that's helpful, I mean, but, you know. I mean, it's a possibility. I would, if I could have anything, um, there's a couple of things I'd like. One, I don't think the pardoning went far enough. I think mm -hmm. having possession um, only charges did not go enough to eradicate the stigma and racism that upon which the, the war on drugs was built. Um, I'd like to see an exploration and analysis of 
the people who are currently imprisoned, who maybe had an intent to distribute, and some who even had weapons charges and became and suffered under the egregious uh, U.S. sentencing guidelines that were created based on racial disparity um, and have been applied in a racially disparate manner. I'd like to see those reevaluated and those cases be reevaluated. That Biden's announcement didn't go far enough on that. Um, and I'd also like to see the elimination of 280E. Uh, for the entire industry. I don't care what way they do it. I don't care if they just cancel it administratively. There has to be real tax benefits applied and allowed for to the industry that's making hundreds of thousands of jobs. It's, it's just insane that we don't have that benefit. Um, I'd like to see access to capital markets and I'd like to see access to banking. Those are sort of my, my big, my big asks from, <laughs> from, whatever government yeah no those are i mean that's a great list there i'm sure a lot of folks out there are going to agree with with those sort of marquee items i'm glad you mentioned the pardon aspect of biden's announcement too you know obviously i was steering the questions toward the rescheduling descheduling situation we do have some more reporting coming on the meaning of those pardons and what that will look like in the near future uh, from canvas business times but but yes of course what you were saying there is is spot on i mean it, it really um as many people have mentioned on social media in, in the wake of this announcement, it's um, it's a drop in the bucket, really. And uh, hopefully Biden recognizes that next time he wants to talk about cannabis because there's a lot more work to do there as well. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful as well. I, I do think at least it was a step, right? We haven't mm -hmm. seen any steps in a long time. We haven't seen any steps from the executive branch. Uh, so this was at least a step, and I am happy that a step was taken. Certainly, and uh, it is it is not nothing. And here we are talking about very real possibilities. Uh, so, like you said, the next uh, the next couple months, the next year is going to be very interesting. Although I guess every year is pretty interesting in this industry. So uh, <laughs> it really up. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Leah, I certainly appreciate the insights here. It's it's great just to get to drill down on those terms, rescheduling and descheduling, what that means. I think um, there's a lot of terms that uh, that we use a lot in the industry that it's very helpful to pin down the real meanings of them. So we'll see what happens. Um, and, and we'll definitely keep in touch as, as all of this shakes out in the near future. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. And thank you for doing the cannabis conference because it's a good one. Very much appreciated. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Leah Heiss about what might happen in the wake of President Biden's fairly significant cannabis reform announcement. Uh, I know a lot of the feedback has been that his announcement didn't really go far enough, but as Leah said at the end there, it is at the very least a step towards something in the future. Uh, like I said, up on CannabisBusinessTimes.com today, this is uh, October 21st, where this interview is dropping. Today we've got a feature on what the different schedules look like. That's schedule one through five, what those different schedules mean, where cannabis might end up, and what this could mean for the industry. We've got more coverage coming in the upcoming weeks as we head into late October and early November. There are plenty of questions to answer. There's not a ton of answers, but there are a lot of fact-based arguments and perspectives to get into that might help your business guide itself, guide your team into this very strange future 
something big may be happening, we'll put it that way, as we go into 2023. So stay tuned here on Beyond the Show for more interviews along those lines. And of course, keep your eyes peeled for more features on rescheduling, descheduling, and all sorts of different futures up on CannabisBusinessTimes.com. Thanks.